Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service, whether you're worshiping with us here in church or from home. Thank you for joining us on this lovely summer day. I also want to welcome to our service the Reverend Dennis Campbell. You'll remember that Dennis was with us two weeks ago. Dennis, thank you for coming back and for leading us in worship. And with Dennis this morning, again, is his wife, Hilary. And I want to welcome Hilary back to our service as well and, for, and joining us for worship. Now, next Sunday is Children's and Young People's Day, when everyone will come into church. So parents, please bring your children in. They must sit with you uh, throughout the service. Sit in family groups, please. And to reduce movement during the service, all of their contributions to that service have already been recorded. So we will have our family service next week. Children have recorded their input to it, and we look forward to having as many people here as the church can accept. Now, the church accounts have been circulated or will be circulated to you in the next few days. At the end of next Sunday's service, we will have a short meeting for the acceptance of the accounts. So please, in advance of that, have a good look at them. Men's breakfast, you will have seen it on the loop. Gentlemen, if you're interested in going, it's the first Saturday in July. Have a chat with Bill Aiken. Bill's doing all the organizing. He will make a note of your name and take things forward from there. Now, on Thursday of this week, there will be a special prayer day, a prayer day for our new minister and for the way forward for the congregation. This is not an occasion when you'll be expected to come up here and need prayer, but to sit pr quietly and just have prayer. The prayer team have made out a guide to get you on your way, so that will be available on Thursday, and I would encourage as many people as possible to come. Now, it's from 11 a.m. until 12.30 in the morning, and from 7 to 8 at night. And we look forward to seeing as many here as possible. Denise O'Neill has asked me to put a thought to you. If you are doing any sort of a, shall we say, spring clean at home and you've come across some toys that children in the creche could use, Denise would welcome them, please. So if you come across something like that, wondering what to do with it, have a chat with Denise and she will arrange to have it brought down and made available in the creche. Another reminder just to our drivers, it's been brought to my attention that some of you have been going Maybe a mile or two over what you should be doing when you drive out past the SPU. Children are coming out of there at the end of the service. Please, please drive with great care as you go past it. And the last announcement I wish to make is tomorrow is Jim and Kim Day again. Jim receives your contributions at between 12 and 1, and Kim has your free food available for you from 9 o'clock onwards until 10.30. Now, those are my announcements. We have one more, and Tom's going to come and make it. Thank you, Tom. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we were all looking forward to our barbecue next Sunday, but I'm sorry to say that circumstances beyond our control have led us to reschedule and we really regret any upset in the plans that you may have made for next week. The problem was that there was uncertainty about what we would be allowed to cook on church premises, and because we didn't know the outcome of that until very recently, we couldn't finalize plans to proceed next week. However, there may be um, a silver lining to all of this. 
We have rescheduled the barbecue to be on the 1st of August, and we ask you all to keep that date free, plan to attend, and encourage as many others of the congregation that you know or are in contact with to join us on that day, which we hope we will be able to make a very special occasion. I'm sure you remember that the barbecue is intended to achieve three things. It's firstly to bring us all together, to give thanks for the ending of uh, lockdown and celebrate the freedom that we all will be able to enjoy. It's also to witness by having our picnic on the lawn outside the church to our local community that our fellowship is real and that we appreciate our love and community within the congregation. And lastly, it was an opportunity to provide uh, a chance to give something towards the Peru-Rwanda projects, which are presently in very dire need. Now, we're aware that some members of the congregation had already planned to give donations next Sunday, and because the circumstances are so difficult in Arequipa, in the children's home, and in Ramagana, where poverty and hunger is a real issue at the moment, uh, we thought it would be only reasonable for those who want to do so to make envelopes available and those are in the vestibule and if you want to give something uh, in lieu of the uh, postponed barbecue you can pick up an envelope as you leave and bring a donation next Sunday or the following Sunday. I just want to say to you finally that the leaders in Arequipa and Ramagana have been in touch and have sent me their thanks to pass on to you their love and their prayers for the fellowship here and I invite you to pray for them in return. That's the end of my announcement. Now Dennis, it's really good to have you back with us and I invite you to lead us in worship. The church has come through this period of wilderness wandering and new life is reviving with Easter faith. Let us worship God. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The hymn, My Heart is Filled.
Let us unite in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have broken the tyranny of sin and have sent the Spirit of your Son into our hearts so that we may call you Father. Give us grace to dedicate our freedom to your service that we and all creation may be brought to the glorious liberty of the children of God. Almighty and merciful God, it is not your will that any of your children should be lost, but that all should come to repentance. Grant that by your word we may again and again be convicted of our many sins. Grant also that we may frequently grasp anew the comfort of your spirit and of faith, so that we may be justified in your Son and through him be saved. Father, have mercy upon us, for we are a backsliding people. We promise to follow you and repeatedly look back with regret. We offer to serve and then insist on imposing our own terms and conditions. We sign a contract with you and then tear it up. We are inspired by the high ideals of our Lord's ministry in the Gospels. Yet we are also dragged away from his side by motives of pride, selfishness, and obstinacy. Forgive our failures and our lack of resolution and our weakness in times of temptation. Renew us by the power of Christ so that we may make a new commitment to him and to his dawning kingdom and may discover the joy of perseverance. Unite us now as we join in his prayer, saying, Our Father, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Tom will read our Old Testament lesson, 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. <laughs> this is the word of God. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, 
Suddenly, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho, who were watching, said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Amen. Thank you, Tom. We join again to sing Mission Praise 216. Thank you, Jesus. Gospel lesson is from Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 51, and will be read by Evelyn. Luke 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, 
Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you, Evelyn. We join in our prayers for ourselves and others. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we give thanks that you came into the world to seek and to save the lost. We pray for the lost, acknowledging that we are often included in their number. We pray for all who are confused by a world full of injustice and misfortune and undeserved suffering. Grant us the blessed assurance that you are still Lord and are still reaching out healing hands. We pray for all who are arrogant in their prejudice. For those who claim that they know for sure that God is dead, that the gospel is meaningless, and that life is a tale told by an idiot. Shine your light upon them. They may turn away from the darkness of their preconceptions. We pray for all who have been so hurt that they are in no state of mind to explore the gospel. Bring them healing and comfort so that they may become aware of the divine hope that overcomes every pain. We pray for our young people. May simple childish faith mature into adult commitment and may youthful energies find healthy outlets in the service of others and in the life of the church. As we pray to be set free from the present pandemic, we pray also for all whose calling is healing. We remember the medical profession, those who work in our hospitals, and all who in any way contribute to hospitals functioning as centers of health. We remember all pastors and those who counsel the troubled. 
We rejoice in the caring work of the church. Bless our endeavors as all of us take responsibility for those in need among us. And today we pray especially for that great nation, Brazil, where the pandemic is raging out of control. We pray for our own country. May agriculture flourish. May commerce advance. May industry thrive. May our country be a place where no divisions of political or religious allegiance may cancel the virtue of being good neighbors to one another. We ask for stability and restraint in these days of heightened tension. We pray for those in special need at this time. We name them now in the silence. We pray especially for Tom McCready and his family, recently bereaved. Lord Jesus Christ, may your kingdom come. May we recognize your kingdom at its coming. And may we be worthy citizens of your kingdom. We offer our prayers in simple faith. Amen. The hymn 500, God of Grace, Amazing Wonder. <laughs>
Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, in this hour, in this place, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. Amen. At a wedding rehearsal, amid the light-hearted banter and the busy preparations for the big day, the bride's mother recalled an incident from her wedding. She was halfway up the aisle on her father's arm when a chrysanthemum fell out of her bouquet. The incident caused her to pause and look back. Her father had not seen the flower fall. He thought she was having second thoughts about the enormous commitment which marriage entails. We've come this far, he whispered. You're not backing out now. Following Jesus is like marriage in many ways. It's like steering a boat in a storm. And it is like plying a straight bird. Jesus says, no one, having put his hand to the plough and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus of Nazareth is courageous and expects his followers also to show courage. This is true throughout the Gospel of Luke, but especially here in his ninth chapter, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples see Jesus surrounded by heavenly glory. But then they must come down from the mountain and summon up the courage to follow their teacher into places and situations much less glorious. Jesus is determined to go to the holy city where the prophets are persecuted. It's plain that by the Lord's body language that he has already gathered up his courage and steeled himself to face whatever awaits him there. He has already put his hand to the plough. For him there can be no turning back. At this point, Luke shows Jesus in encounters with would-be disciples. In the face of their naive optimism, the Lord utters some hard sayings to the one who promises to follow him wherever he goes. Jesus warns, foxes of holes, the birds of the air of nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To the one who seeks to delay becoming a disciple until his parents have passed away, Jesus blurts out a shocking response. Let the dead bury their own dead. And these two clashes are also in Matthew's Gospel. But from another source, Luke adds a third collision with a fair-weather recruit. This one wants to return home to take his leave from the folks there. To him, Jesus is uncompromising. No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's important that you and I should grasp how outrageous 
And this saying is, family life in the culture of first century Palestine is all-embracing, all-encompassing, all-demanding. In our society, we take it for granted that children will grow up and, like birds, will fly away from the family nest. But in Jesus' day, the family is a permanent economic unit. Just think of the fishermen whom we encounter toiling on the Lake of Galilee in all four Gospels. There is Zebedee and his sons, James and John, in the boat. And as for the female members of the family, we can be sure that they are as busy on the shore as their menfolk are on the waves. It's a family business and there is a role for every family member. How disruptive to have a wandering preacher calling able-bodied men away from their work. How scandalous to interfere with the sacred bonds that makes families a unit. How appalling for an upstart prophet to appear out of the blue and declare that the kingdom of God is more important than those things that tie us to hearth and home. But Jesus is inflexible. In his dedication to the kingdom of God, he is single-minded, and he demands single-mindedness from anyone who would travel with him. Now, this kind of focused commitment is out of place in our generation. We are hesitant when it comes to dedicate our, dedicating ourselves to a cause. We are wary of showing our allegiance by signing on the dotted line. We are irresolute when asked to hitch our wagon to a star. We're like those characters in the gospel who thought discipleship might be a good idea, but insisted that the small print of their contract should contain an escape clause. And of course, all of us who have lived for any stretch of time have baggage to bring with us. We hear the call of Jesus to look forward, but we're always more inclined to look back. We look back with regret. You know the kind of guilty response people make? Jesus, don't expect me to, make, to take hold of the handles of the plow and make a straight furrow. I'm weighed down by past failures and past mistakes and self-inflicted wounds that have not healed properly. I have no confidence that I can stay the course. I blotted my copybook, and it is forever ink-stained. I felt my own nest and the stench remains. I preferred the broad and easy way, and now plying a straight and narrow furrow seems beyond me. So many of us look back with regret. And we look back in anger. We seethe with resentment. Jesus, don't expect my hands to be steady on the plow. All the cards were stacked against me right from the start. The dice were always loaded when I tried my luck. I had the wrong upbringing, the wrong education, 
the wrong set of so-called friends. I was put down the wrong chimney into the wrong house and so was doomed from the start. No wonder a straight furrow is belong beyond my powers to, to create. We look back in anger and we look back in weariness. Jesus, don't expect me to have the energy for plowing, let alone plowing a straight furrow. It's too late for me. I have too many war wounds, too many bruises, too many scars. It's quite some time since all my get up and go got up and went. With Shakespeare's Hamlet, I declare how weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the uses of this world. We look back in weariness. The focused commitment of Jesus of Nazareth is out of place in our generation, dreadfully out of place. But the Lord enables us to persevere in faith. Jesus empowers us in the way of discipleship. Jesus makes possible your hands and mine holding steady on the plow handles and your eye and mine fixed straight ahead to keep that furrow straight. Jesus empowers us by his pattern of living. He sets the standard. We read the Gospels and discover a man of supreme courage. We cannot fail to be moved by his example. The sheer bravery of the man never fails to impress us. Encountering a leper, he reaches out to touch the afflicted person, risking contagion. And in recent times, you and I know all about contagion. Encountering demon-possessed people, he denounces and silences and expels the evil spirits. When he hears that Herod Antipas is determined to kill him, he sends a message to that fox, asserting that nothing will divert him from his healing ministry. What a pattern for living the Lord has set us. And Jesus empowers us by his presence. He's not just a fine example from the past, or a hero from ancient times. No, he's a living presence with us today. Don Bridgeman, Joseph Scriven, in 19th century Canada, heard that his mother was ill back home in County Down. For her, he penned those wonderful verses. What a friend we have in Jesus. He wrote the poem in the conviction that the healing and sustaining power of the Savior, which he knew on the western side of the Atlantic Ocean, was just as real in the Emerald Isle on the eastern side. We sense it too. Jesus empowers us by his presence. And Jesus empowers us by his promise. The Christian life is life with meaning because it has a destination which lies with the, our Father God. On the mountain of transfiguration, 
The disciples hear the divine voice declare that Jesus is God's beloved Son and should be obeyed. The promise is clear that when following Jesus, even the meanest tasks are worth doing. Plowing leads to sowing, and sowing leads to growth, and growth leads to reaping God's glorious harvest. Jesus empowers us by his promise of a wonderful future in God's plan. Yes, Jesus enables us to persevere in faith with eyes fixed firmly on his kingdom already dawning today. We will keep our hands steady on the plow. We will resist the urge to look back. Furthermore, in following the one who demands no turning back, we discover unimagined riches. In putting our hand to the ply in obedience to the Lord, we discover life with meaning. No other harvest is more worthy of our labors, and any selfish grabbing for ourselves is seen as utterly empty. Christianity cannot be understood from the outside. Back in the 12th century, St. Bernard of Clairvaux summed it up in a moving hymn which contains the lines, the love of Jesus, what it is, none but his loved ones know. Of course, outside faith and hope and love, you can know about Christ. But only when you grasp those ply handles and start turning over the earth, can you know Christ. As you know a friend, as you know a teacher, even as you know a wife and husband. In putting our hand to the we feel like a little. He has inherited the cloak of the great prophet Elijah. Wearing that cloak, he knows five or six things about God's ways that no one else can possibly know. And the way of the prophet now lies before him demanding that he put his hand to the same plow as his hero did before him. In putting our hand to the plow, we feel like the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who opposed Hitler. Bonhoeffer was a musician as well as a martyr. He explained our love of Christ as a cantus firmus in music. Cantus firmus is the basic melody which the composer ornaments by weaving variations around it. For Bonhoeffer, Christ is the basic melody which controls and inspires all other harmonies in this life of discipleship. In putting our hand to the plow, we feel like the poet Emily Bronte, No Coward Soul Is Mine, is the title of her most powerful work. No coward soul is mine, no trembler in the world's storm-troubled sphere. I see heaven's glory shine, and faith shines equal, arming me from fear. It's one of the great Christian poems. It should be more widely known. And how appropriate if we could hear it read at funerals alongside the scripture new good news of the resurrection. 
in following the one who demands no turning back, we discover unimagined riches. In putting our hand to the plough in obedience to our Lord, we discover life with meaning. It's a gift beyond our observing, beyond our imagining, beyond our wildest dreams. Thanks be to God. Amen. The hymn 157 in Mission Praise, May the Mind of Christ My Saviour. grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. <laughs>